Mickey Grace and Rashida Grant Washington and you're listening to the Sold Out Podcast. The Sold Out Podcast is a one-of-a-kind podcast that empowers people to live on purpose. In its rawest form, this podcast captures history in the making by examining what it means to be sold out, to be all in, to feel and respond to what burdens the soul, and to practice vulnerability. Curated by me, Mickey Grace, and Rashida Graham Washington, Sold Out is rooted in the belief that human value is higher than the effort we expend towards our transformation. We are worth it. We are worth it. You are worth it. We want to follow you. We want you to follow us. But in order for you to do that, you got to know where to find us. And you can find Mickey Grace at Mickey, M-I-K-I, L Grace, Mickey L Grace on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me, Rashida, R-E-E-S-H-E-D-A at Rashida N-G-W and at Live Exclamation on Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find me at Rashida Graham Washington. We hope to find you there. See me, my DNA. Just a regular ray of sunshine chloroforming my day-to-day, numb to the fact that my skies are gray, blue even. We've been waiting on the powers who play to say, what's wrong? Waiting way too long for someday, some way, someone to see me, to treat me. This thing that I have that grabs and clutches my ability to shine, to glisten, emanating my black girl magic, imitating my grandma's sassy, phantasmic present absence, generating a huge girl's glow. Workflow on fleek, sleek, shining, array, chloroforming my day to day, and I'm waiting. Will someone please just see me? My melanin, my next of kin, my way too down low serotonin, my need to increase endorphins, my daily consumption of melatonin, cause who can sleep? Not me, might miss my appointment for someone to see me. My isms and chasms, back spasms, phantasms, mysteries, like why Barry White's voice still spooks me, or why when I see a rat, I give up the whole street. Let them have it, child. Let them play for a while. I ain't pressed, but I digress. Did they come while I was gone to see me? No, still not yet, not yet. Not yet, bet. So all of our experiences, conditioning, indoctrination, um, they all drive us to avoid pain and discomfort and make it go away for the people we love. Um, In this episode, Rashida and I are going to get curious about the impact of being with people who are experiencing pain, um, including our own selves, long enough to consider the beauty that sometimes emerges from it all. So, Rashida, mm-hmm. tell me about a time. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this episode. Can I just name that out loud? Tell me about a time when you feel like you waited for someone to see your pain. You know, um, if I'm honest, I feel like I stand in solidarity with um a slew 
of black women who in some way waits every day for someone to see my pain. Um, and sometimes it's in large ways, like um, in the ways that I just think people don't get what is required of a person who looks and sounds like me, who is trying to be um, an entrepreneur and a consultant and a coach and a mom and a wife and a Rashida and not lose the Rashida part, right? Um, and that is a big sort of looming um, source of pain for me every day. But then also in the small ways that I become invisible. For example, when I'm in the cafe and I'm um, working with a customer and you say good morning and good morning and good morning and they don't speak back and they just want what they want and it's just the most transactional experience you can have and that can happen multiple times in a day and you know that you are quote-unquote in that moment you're perceived as the quote-unquote the help um, and the ways in which the help has been made invisible um, for hundreds of years in this country um, so it's from the micro 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 ways in which I'm made invisible in interactions and transactions in a day okay. to the macro, macro, macro ways in which I feel like I get calls. Hey, Rashida, we know you're doing this work at Live Cafe. We know you're doing the consulting. We're trying to do a social enterprise. We want you to tell us how we should do that, how we should go about that, who we should go about that with. And I say, stop asking black women to open coffee carts and pop-up shops because that's not sustainable or viable for them, even though it ticks your numbers. And they say, okay, we'll think about that. And then in three months they call and they ask the exact same question again. Um, and that makes me feel invisible because I am a black woman who lives on the landscape of entrepreneurship. You see me enough to know I should be the person you're asking, but you don't value my responses enough to trust that that's actually the right thing to do. Okay. So there are so many ways in which I can answer that question. Um, and it's the big pain and the small pain and all the pains on the continuum of pain in between. Um, but I take, I take respite in knowing that I share that space with some of the dopest, most remarkable women in the world. And I find a lot of solidarity in the community where we get to share in that together. So there's a tension between the pain and the joy of uh, an invisible existence. Mm. Mm. So <clears throat> you talked a little bit about the spectrum right mm -hmm. of pain <laughs> and i guess i kind of want to talk a little bit about this concept of a pain point yeah right mm -hmm. like are there multiple points is there just one point right like mm -hmm. what do you think about when you hear the word a pain point the phrase a pain point yeah, when I hear that phrase, I just think that's the point at which we've registered pain. Mm. Um, we note it as a point, right? But it doesn't mean it wasn't there the whole time. It doesn't mean it won't continue to exist after. It's the point at which we realize it's the moment in which we realize it is there. Often caused by an acuteness that wasn't there before. So it may have existed, but something about it has caused it to be intensified mm. um, in a way that makes us stop to notice it. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, the more resilient we are, good, bad, right, wrong, or indifferent, sometimes the more resilient we, we are, the longer it takes for us to experience a pain point. Yeah, that's a good point because I think um, in my own individual life, I experience a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just, I don't even know where it comes from. It's just like day in and day out, pain and suffering. And I think when you say like, and I, and, I, and I think at this point in my life, I'm struggling with this idea that we're going to have pain. Like it's going to, it's a thing. Yes. You're never going to escape it. Yes. It's always going to be with us. Um, and am I doing things that cause pain? Sure. Um, and at what point am I doing, at what point, how do I get this thought out? So you know how people say like, or it's a thing that said, um, don't do what you don't want to do. Like you shouldn't do what you don't want to do. Don't do something that hurts you. Mm-hmm. Don't do something that causes you pain. Mm-hmm. In my journey, especially in like entrepreneurship, this hurts. Sure. This is painful. What's the this that hurts? <laughs> I guess it's like differentiating my approach. Yeah. Right? Like we talked about in our previous episode, um, getting, living in the uncomfortableness. Sure. Of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's living in the uncomfortableness of the known. Yes. Um, and it causes me to like step in and out of, okay, well, I'm doing this to myself. I see. So I should just stop. Yes. But if I stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What that, that I've mean? chosen a path that I know is inevitably going to create pain for me. Yeah. And yet I persist. Yeah. Yes. Um. So... This is this is good because it is it that you've chosen a path that causes you pain or is it the case that no matter what path, if pain is inevitable, as you talked about, is it also the case that any path you choose is one that would entail pain? Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, then have you just chosen your best best path? Understanding that no matter which path you choose, pain is going to be a part of the process. And I think it's just because, you know, you never know. You don't know. Like, okay, am I choosing? Is this the road of less pain? Is there another road? That well, could- and should we automatically be looking for the one that ha- that has the least amount of pain? Mm. Do you see what I'm, what I'm saying there? Yeah. Because, um... So we are both believers, unapologetically yeah. believers, not, we are unapologetically believers in Christ. Yeah. There are all kinds of believers. <laughs> um, and when I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus had a path, right? It had inevitable pain. Right. And Jesus didn't say that's going to be really painful, I'm going to choose a path that has less pain Mm -hmm. or do we choose the path that is most aligned to our reason for living and with the understanding that whatever pain comes with that path, that's the path that is the best path for our lives. Yeah. I guess it's about um, this endurance 
um, like you think about working out. It's mm-hmm. painful, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the more you do it, the better you get at it, and the more you build your endurance or your tolerance or the pain that you'll endure. You know, I think a lot about this um, because, and and I want to just quickly name a caveat in this episode um, because we want to navigate this in a way that debunks martyring or abuse that. We're not saying, oh, you know, I remember this part of um, the color purple where um, Harpo, no, uh, Mr. is beating um, Seely. And she, Seely is talking to um, Sophia about it. And Seely said, so. Sophia is saying, you know, Seely, why, why are you taking this? Why are you tolerating this? And Seely says, well, this world will be over soon. Heaven lasts always. Mm-hmm. And Sophia says, child, you better bash Mr.'s head open and think about heaven later, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and I remember being, I think I was 11, when I first, first, first fell in love with the color purple. Um, You see how I could quote it right off the top of my head. So... <laughs> Um, at 11 years old, that struck me as a tension. It wasn't like I knew this one was right or that one was right. It's like, oh, that's one way to think about it is to to think about the long game of something and to say, I'm going to ride something out for the long game. Mm-hmm. This world will be over soon. Heaven lasts always. Right. And then there's this other option of the right now putting a stop or end to something immediately. And I think that it is important for us to name on this episode that if a person is experiencing physical abuse or something that deteriorates them to the point of debilitation, that's the short game. Mm -hmm. You need to do something to get yourself out of that situation. But I also think that in our last episode was about differentiation. I think in the country we live in, we've been conditioned to think that anytime we're experiencing pain, our job is to get ourselves out of that scenario. And anytime our loved ones are experiencing pain, our job is to do whatever we can to get them out of that scenario. Um, Glennon Doyle um, wrote, she um, is affiliated with the Naked Soul, and I follow her on Instagram. And Glennon Doyle said, we think that our job as humans is to avoid pain. Our job as parents is to protect our children from pain. And our job as friends is to fix each other's pain. Maybe that's why we all feel like failures so often, mm-hmm. because we all have the wrong job description of love. People who are hurting don't need avoiders, protectors, or fixers. What we need are patient, loving witnesses. People who sit quietly and hold space for us. People who people to stand in the helpless vigil to our pain. And my initial thought was, how do I show up and stand in the helpless vigil of my own pain? When do I really see have a Rashida who is experiencing pain and be the Rashida who sits with the Rashida who is experiencing pain. Yeah. I think I'm getting a lot better at that. Mm. To be honest. Um, so 
I was a while back. I was uh, reading the Bible, mm-hmm. and I don't know where it is in particular. I think it's in James, but there's a scripture that talks about um, faith and endurance. And you know how like we'll we'll be in a situation and we'll say, "I ain't gonna worry about it." Yes, <laughs> I'm yes. Not, I'm not even gonna worry about it. <laughs> I came to the realization that faith mm-hmm. is saying I'm not even gonna worry about it. And actually not even worrying about it. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten so much better at um registering. Registering. That okay, you're feeling something right now. That's the pain point. Mm. Yeah. You're feeling something right now and your feelings are true. Yeah. They're real. Yeah. You are experiencing pain. But don't worry about it. But don't worry about it. Just keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. Let let it exist in its in its own existence, in its own right. I think it's a matter of practicing, um, building a practice of letting your pain exist separate from you. Um, I use this app. It's called Calm. Mm-hmm. It's a meditation app, and they have a ten minute meditations every day, and this one meditation I was listening to, it um said something, two things that I really liked. It said, I want you to listen for the sounds that are around you, mm-hmm. but don't search for it. Mm-hmm. Don't search for a sound. Um, just take note of whatever comes to you. And I think that that, just that statement alone has helped me a lot in not searching for pain, um, or searching for a reason why I don't want to get out of bed this morning. Um, but coming to terms of what is there, letting it be there. And then there was another one that um, in the meditation practice is really big on like um, feeling all of the feels. So mm-hmm. allowing whatever, I guess, like pain or whatever uncomfortability that's in your body, mm-hmm. noticing it. And a being with it. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of used those same practices with the things that I'm afraid of. So I don't know if that gets to it. No, you know, it 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 it, it really does. Um you're being present to you. Yeah. Um, which is hard to do in 2019 when you could be trying to do that work and you hear binging and dinging and binging and ding and ding, bing, ding, bing, 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 ding. You know, all the notifications coming through that someone wants you to be present to something else. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, it becomes a hard, a more and more difficult job to do to be present to your own self in any form, mm-hmm. let alone being present to yourself in a difficult form, like mm-hmm. when you're experiencing pain. Um, it was just last month. <laughs> I'm 44 years old. And last month is when I realized that tears are a tool in my toolkit. You hear me talk about my toolkit for the work of equity all the time. And I talk about subversion. I talk about agility. I talk about listening. I talk about questioning and curiosity, all tools in my toolkit. Mm-hmm. And that I'm constantly building that toolkit Last month is when I realized tears are part of that toolkit. Um, And, you know, as a black woman in America, 
I have mostly been conditioned to believe that we don't have time for mm-hmm. tears um, and that, you know, crying doesn't change anything or crying doesn't solve anything um, or, or um, um, my mother used to say, put your feelings in your back pocket. We don't have time for that, mm-hmm. you know. And so I was really conditioned that feelings or tears were a deficit that were cumbersome to carry or hold and slow down your process or your journey. Um, and so it wasn't until last month that I was like, you know, tears clean, they're cleansing. Um, we have water in our eyes, tears in our tear ducts, even when we're not weeping Mm -hmm. because they clean our lens to see. And so when we have an outpouring of tears, how does that shape and form reshape, reform, inform, re-inform our perspective or our lens and how we see things? That it is through the shedding of tears that some revelation occurs. Um, and when I had this um, notion last month, I wrote, I don't know the value of my tears, but I do know that all of my best recipes require water. (laughs) So, you know, I cook all the time and there's not a thing I could think of that I make in my kitchen that I don't turn the water on for. And so why do we think that we can bake up all these ideas and, and innovations and models and entrepreneurship, all these new baked recipes with no water, with no water. And, um, yeah, I think that in and of itself tells us that pain has to be a part of the journey. And based on what I read from Glenn and Doyle, maybe it's not completely our job to turn away from it, avoid it, mitigate it, stop it, change it. Sometimes maybe our job is to sit with it or role mm-hmm. is to sit with it, be with it, be informed by it, get yeah. curious about it. And watch the ways in which we are transformed as a result of it. Yeah. And I, so <laughs> I recently cried at work yeah. and um, it was because I needed help. Yeah. And, but I didn't know how to articulate what I needed help with, mm-hmm. but I needed help and I needed it right then. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could think of to mobilize someone to help mm-hmm. was to cry. Yeah. Man. And it was like, and it, and it honestly, I felt like it was a conscious decision to cry. You're like, I'm gonna cry right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a conscious decision to cry yeah. because I was using my words. Yeah, but no one was moving. Yeah, and as soon as I started to cry, yeah, someone helped me. You know, and this is the thing that crying or the outward expression of pain, whether it be through your tears or however you express pain outwardly. We have been conditioned that you don't do that in public spaces. Mm -hmm. It's so funny that you mentioned this because I have a meeting coming up tomorrow with a person who's very near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. And we've been having some challenges and difficulties and we've decided to meet. And I let that person make the call on where we would have the meeting. And they decided that we should have it in a coffee shop. And I, my initial thought was 
man, now we're going to be in this public space. What if I cry? Mm -hmm. And then in the spirit of reimagining and generating wonder, I was like, man, we're going to be in this public space. What if I cry? Just the shift in my intonation makes all the difference. Who might get liberated because I unapologetically, unashamedly, transparently showed an emotion in public? Right. You know? Yeah. Who might say initially, oh, oh my goodness, that lady is crying. And who might be like, yeah. So what? People cry. And and why and, and why, why don't that, I cry? And why don't I cry? And why is it a big deal to illustrate an emotion in a coffee shop? Yeah. Cuz we all have emotions. So why don't we ever see them? Yeah. I think um 9 times out of 10 when I cry, it's because I don't have have the words mm-hmm. um to articulate what it is I'm feeling Mm -hmm. um and those tears kind of get the job done for Mm -hmm. me I think um man there was something I really wanted to share um oh so I think about my childhood sure and I can't really remember really crying as a child. Mm. Um, I, I remember writing a poem or a story about how my grandfather died. My grandfather died when I was 10. And um, I remember saying something along the lines of like, um, I was among the first to hear about his passing, mm-hmm. but the last to understand that he was gone. And it wasn't until I got to be like 22 that I finally was like, okay, let me cry. And I feel like in that, I kind of found some love. Yeah. I was like, okay, I love him. Sure. And he loved me mm-hmm. <laughs> because if he didn't, then I'd have no reason to cry, right? Yeah. Like, it's the loss. Yeah. Registering a loss of something. Registering a loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that um I I would love to to see what comes from our listeners being able to practice this idea of uh registering their pain mm-hmm. and registering their sorrow mm-hmm. um and existing with it. Yeah, you know, Mick, I'm curious about how power and privilege and entitlement informs this topic. And, you know, last episode, we talked about differentiation. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that there are some people who all they ever do is emote in Mm -hmm. public in ways that are really deteriorating to the work we do. um, And um, serve as a distraction to the work that we do. Um, And so this question of who gets to um sit with their emotions who gets to be with themselves and who never gets to because they always have to be about the business of survival Mm -hmm. right um also i think in in some instances 
And this is why differentiation is so important because now, you know, there'll be a listener who will now say, well, Mickey and Rashida said on Sold Out that I, I get to cry in public and that I can cry at work at the boardroom table. But it, when you're using your tools in ways that manipulate people, mm-hmm. when you're using your emotions in ways that prop up passive aggression or manipulation or Mm -hmm. martyrdom Mm -hmm. that is not a healthful way of relating to pain Mm -mm. and so I want to make that distinction because it it really does go right back to the last episode where we talk about differentiation we got folks who all day I mean we've experienced them all they do is cry at work every time they don't get their way they cry Mm -hmm. and then somebody feels sorry for them and the hour-long meeting we spent getting to a consensus on c by tomorrow morning when we get back to work at eight o'clock it's now back to a because person this person has cried and wept and got their emotions off that is manipulation of emotion Mm-hmm. That's not the same as me registering my feelings, sitting with my feelings, being present to my feelings or the feelings of my loved ones, and then just mm-hmm. having it be for the sake of being and still being able to carry on in healthful ways. Oh, I, I, I'm a pretty honest person. Mm-hmm. And honest to a fault kind of like I'm very open about sharing my what I'm going through. I'm very open about... Um, sharing what's causing me sorrow. Yes. Um, and I guess I kind of think about, sometimes I, I consider, am I too honest about my pain? Mm-hmm. Is that such a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, to what extent? Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Can a person be too honest about their pain? I think that there's a tension to be managed there rather than a problem to be solved. Yeah. I don't think you can be too honest with yourself about your pain. And I don't think that you can be too honest with people you've invited into your life to be a part of authentic, genuine, mutual, reciprocal relationship with mm-hmm. about your pain. I also think that that rests in the in a space where there's tension between that idea and the notion of sharing my pain with everybody mm-hmm. um, in a place where my body can be um, perceived as a weapon in a, in a space or in a country or in a world where my presence can make a person feel like their safety is threatened. I have to mitigate whether or not an environment is safe mm-hmm enough for me and I don't mean a safe space I mean that it is safe enough for me to share my pain while also holding as a part of my identity my willingness to be open and transparent given the right circumstances I think we approach that question from a binary place where we say either I can or I cannot Mm -hmm. be vulnerable with my pain I think that rather than holding that binary we say i'm a person who is very transparent about the pain that i have experienced Mm -hmm. and given the right conditions i will share that gift with with the world yeah um and then we have to mitigate and discern when those conditions are present and i think for me it's just a matter of like i find power in my pain um because my pain is my truth sure and 
in being honest, right, it is like, okay, I carry my truth with me to work. I carry my truth with me to the gym. Mm -hmm. I carry my truth with me when I go volunteer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess like uh, identifying that line or drawing that line Mm -hmm. has been quite a challenge in my individual life. What are some of the ways in which we can make pain that we've already talked about is existence as inevitable. Yeah. So what are some of the ways in which we can make pain more, a more meaningful aspect of our lives? If it's going to be there anyway, how do we make it meaningful? I think share it. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I could really mm-hmm. think of. I think share, I think put it into your art, whatever your art is, uh, whether it's writing, like any writing I do, mm-hmm. um, it's, literally about my life it is literally about my pain anything I've ever written um has grown out of a revelation of a painful moment Mm -hmm. or a painful experience um other people I think other people grow from our pain sure they do you know like like if we think about the time that I've spent working with you Mm -hmm. right like I can only imagine these last few years when you've been grinding working to build the cafe working to build rgw that it has been painful, okay? Absolutely. But you shared that with me. Yes. And from that pain, I have found joy. Yes. From that pain, I have given life to things. Um, so I think that sometimes it's a matter of being able to see pain demonstrated in, um, see a demonstration of pain mm-hmm. that is not about negativity or mm-hmm. sadness. Would you call that a leadership quality? So mm. would you say leadership. that one leadership quality is a person's willingness and capacity to be transparent about their pain in ways that create meaning for themselves and other people? 100%. 100%. I think part of, um, part of, your, part of our responsibility as leaders is to prepare our pain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Part of our responsibility as leaders is to prepare our pain. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I met this woman a while back, and her name's Alita Miranda Wolf. Mm -hmm. And I went to a a meeting, uh, introduction of tech startups in Chicago. Sure. And it was a panel, and she was on the panel, and when she spoke, I literally started crying Mm -hmm. Um, because... I could tell she thought about the stories that she was going to share before she came. And I could also tell that she prepared herself to share the stories that she was going to share before she came Mm -hmm. Um, in a way that it connected with my pain. Yeah. Um, And in a way that I was able through her ability to articulate where she once needed help, mm-hmm. I was able to see where I needed help. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, pain is a connector. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that the workplace would be a much better place if we all just came to the table honest mm-hmm. about what we're experiencing and what we're struggling with yes. and what we have struggled with and how we overcame these things. Sure. I think about my own professional growth. Um, and I think about feedback mm-hmm. um, and constructive criticism mm-hmm. that I want. And I'm learning that like, 
while constructive criticism and feedback on my work is great, I really want feedback on my character. <laughs> um, and for someone to be able to give me feedback on my character, it's in, they have to know where I'm experiencing sorrow and struggle and hardship. They also have to be willing to express feedback on their own oh. character, right? Um, which is a vulnerable thing and also creates pain for, you know, um, not just on their character, but also on their ability, um, on their, on what debilitates them. You know, I talk to you often about how I um, struggle and suffer from PMDD, which is like PMS on steroids, mm -hmm. right? And how two weeks out of every month of my life, I become a person different than the person I like being the other two weeks of the month. Um, and for the longest time, my whole prayer to God was, can you just take this from me? When are you going to take this from me? I don't, and I would have been perfectly fine, Mickey, with it just magically disappearing. Like one day I just woke up and I never had PMDD another month in my life. I wouldn't have looked for it. I wouldn't have been curious about where it went. I wouldn't have gone to the doctor to be like, it's gone. What happened to me? I just would have been fine with it not existing anymore. Yeah. Um, and what I have come to realize is that there is a cleansing, a resetting that happens physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually in my body as a result of this shift every month of my life, right? Um, and that when I am my joyful, happy, most fulfilled self, people do things that I let slide. That when I have PMDD, PMDD holds me accountable for my courageous act of setting boundaries in my life, of my own personal self-care, of my articulation of things that make me uncomfortable, um, of creating accountability for people to treat me a certain way. And as long as I can practice the how, cause sometimes my how be messed up with the PMDD. But when I get to practice doing that well, then I get better at naming my boundaries and creating accountability and, you know, showing up to the hard parts of my life. I get to practice that two weeks mm. out of every month. I have then now been made better by the thing that for probably the first 20 years that it existed, I was just busy resenting it. Yeah. So when we find meaning in the places that cause us pain, those places actually serve as an impetus for transformation in our lives. Um, if we can get in touch with it in that way, as opposed to just only ever getting in touch with it as a nuisance. Makes, makes me think that if we can't learn to work with our own pain, mm -mm. we'll never be able to work with others. Well, it's just easier to work with others. It's just easier. Oh yeah. Sometimes it's not though. Like, ah! Sometimes it's not. Some days I work with some people's pain and I'll be like, oh my God, I cannot hold your pain and my pain. Like, you know, so you're a consultant, so you know that sometimes your only job is to hold people's pain. That's it. That's your only job. That's it. And 
that can be hard and it will be harder if you have not done a thing with your own yeah yeah because you know we live in a world where we pretend like we leave the worst of ourselves on the couch when we leave for work at 8 30 mm-hmm. in the morning you know we're like oh all of my hard things all of my broken things all of my sad things all of my challenges all of my dysfunction i'm gonna sit here on the couch i'm gonna go out into the world I'm going to be only the beautiful things. Right. That's not, that thing jumps right back on your back before you get to the car. Like before you get to the train, it's on your back, Mm -hmm. you know? And all of us carry those things with us wherever we go. So if we're not being in touch with them, particularly in the kind of work we do, we will get that stuff all over everybody else with their pain. So I agree with you. I think it is harder. Um, but that running and that avoidance, um, yeah, it's there waiting for us too. And we can choose it over addressing things and being with things and responding to things. Um, but having the toolkit, we talked about the toolkit of tears. Also having in your toolkit time as a tool to deal with my pain that I'm literally just going to set aside some time to be with my stuff. Yeah. What you doing today? But for four hours today, I'm just going to be with my stuff. Look at the artifacts of my pain. Yep. Sit with the artifacts of my pain. Consider those artifacts. Use my tear tool, my tear tool as I sit with my artifacts and carve out an existence for myself in my pain artifact museum. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to carve out some space for myself in this in this hard part of who I am. Yeah, I'm thinking of writing about um like my pain drove here with me to morning this mm-hmm. morning it sat in the passenger seat mm-hmm. like and, and and i guess i just have this beautiful visual in my mind of existing outside of my pain yeah. like allowing for it to be there acknowledging that it's there yeah um but not allowing it to consume me you were the driver it was the passenger right yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it becomes more problematic when it becomes the driver right my pain is not the driver of my life yeah that's sold out y'all we we sold out we sold out